BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Aliza, and today's episode of Raising Good Humans is about highly sensitive children and the unique way that we can respond as parents to build closer relationships to understand this particular way of being in the world. And um, it's also really helpful for parents of highly sensitive children to understand, especially if they are not highly sensitive parents. So I am talking with Dr. Anne-Louise Lockhart, who's a clinical psychologist. And um, she also has a practice called a New Day Pediatric Psychology, and she has an awesome Instagram with lots of great resources and information for parents. So a really quick word about temperament, because a lot of people have asked me to expand on what I mean when I'm talking about temperament and how kind of kids walk through the world. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about temperament on other episodes, but today I really want to focus on this particular way of being, which is known as highly sensitive, but think of probably around, and this research is very dynamic, let's say. So right now it's around 15 to 20% of children or people are thought to be highly sensitive in that their nervous systems are more aware, reactive. Those kids tend to feel those feelings bigger. You know when you have a highly sensitive child. And if you don't know that you have a highly sensitive child, you may listen to this and realize that that's something that's going on. And highly sensitive people tend to pick up on the subtle changes, the subtle experiences, the subtle moments in other people and in themselves. So Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart is going to be talking to us about parenting highly sensitive children. And actually I'll put in the show notes, her course that she's doing online specifically about this topic to just expand more than what we're talking about today. And um, we'll keep this conversation going. I hope you enjoy it. It's certainly not just relevant for if you're parenting highly sensitive child, but if your children have friends who are highly sensitive, if you know highly sensitive people, these are just ways to take into account the experience of what it's like for another person. And as always, I love hearing from you. So please 
Don't hesitate to direct message me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. I'll try to continue doing Q&As whenever we have time. I know that it takes a while, so don't worry. I'm going to get to it either on Instagram, Instagram stories, or at the end of the episodes. And please do subscribe, rate, and if you love it or connect or want to say something nice, definitely write a review if you have the time. And thank you so much for taking the time and trusting me with what I know is such valuable time. So typically when you look at a lot of the work and the research around um, what they call highly sensitive children are children who make up a small portion of our population, individuals as well, not just children. And it's not a diagnosis, Mm. but it's a temperament, it's a personality style. And I think the unfortunate thing about a lot of these highly sensitive individuals is they often feel misunderstood, um, mislabeled, um, and uh, seen as something that they're not. So maybe they're seen as too soft or too, uh, introverted or shy or um, anxious, depressed. And they might be, but they might not be. And many of them become, um, have that, those concerns because uh, people aren't interacting with them in the way that they need to be interacted with. They, they're misunderstood. And I think often when they're misunderstood, it kind of pushes them to withdraw, to lash out, to kind of retreat into their own world. So typically highly sensitive individuals, they um, are often misdiagnosed as well with sensory processing disorder, sometimes with um, because they're highly sensitive to their environment. And so a lot of these individuals look like sensory processing disorder children. And again, they might be, but uh, it's just a temperament. And so when we can understand how to interact with them, it makes it a little bit easier. So these are kids who frequently easily get upset or angry. They uh, struggle to settle at bedtime. They absorb other people's feelings. They're frequently called empaths, Mm -hmm. uh, where they're just like sucking your life force because they feel what you feel. And a lot of parents describe their children who are highly sensitive as older beyond their years that they're very aware of things that they didn't think a child of that age should be aware of. Mm-hmm. And so they think very deeply. They are very much pressured and overwhelmed by time constraints. So if you're like, we need to leave the house in 10 minutes, why aren't you dressed? And then you have this big old tantrum. Mm-hmm. It's because they off again, they're very sensitive. So they're picking up on all the different things going on in their environment, the smells, the sounds, people, everything tastes. So they're really sensitive to all the sensory experiences and uh, they have difficulty with transitions. So from playing outside to coming inside, from eating to going to bed, from um, video games to settling down, like just that transitional period can be really tough for them. And they are very deep thinkers as well too. And uh, one thing that is interesting is that they're interoceptive or their internal body state is very much, they're very in tune with that. And that interoception is one of those senses that pays attention to when you're hungry, when you're full, when you're thirsty, when you're tired, when you've had, you know, enough people (laughs) time, if you have to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're either overly aware of that state or, or they misinterpret it. And so those, if you're not aware that your child is highly sensitive, you can see how they can quickly 
uh, a lot of parents, they feel like they get on their nerves <laughs> because they're mm-hmm. like, why are you paying attention to how loud I'm chewing? Why is that a right. big deal? Um, you know, why are you complaining about the smell of the food? You know, why aren't you playing at the birthday party? Well, maybe it's because they're smelling every single ingredient you're making. Maybe it's because there's too many kids at the party, you know, that they've had too much errand time with you because they've had too much peopling, you know, all of these things. Too much peopling. Yes. And, <laughs> and, the, and the question of why is this bothering you or why aren't you or why anything implicit in that is there's something wrong with you. Exactly. Exactly. That there's something wrong with you and you need to just get over it or suck it up or push through. And because again, many parents who have highly sensitive kids, uh, a lot of them are highly sensitive themselves. And that's the message mm-hmm. they received, right? You're so yeah. soft. Why are you always crying? You're so sensitive. And so it, you know, even the tone that that said, it's like, there's something wrong that you need to change. There's something inherently wrong and flawed about your personality that is inconvenient for me. So get a grip. <laughs> And now a word from our sponsor. Purple reinvented the mattress and pillow for adults. And now they're doing the same for kids. So Purple's designed mattresses and pillows with kids in mind. And we know sleep is so important. So Purple launched a new collection of products just for kids, including a kid's mattress, Purple Kids Pillow, mattress protector, and a sheet set in kid-friendly colors. Both the Kid Mattress and Purple Kid Pillow are made with softer, smaller versions of the Purple Innovative Comfort Grid to offer the best support for small sleepers. From the mattress to the sheets, all Kids Purple products were designed to give kids the comfort and durability they deserve, with plenty of fun mixed in. And the Purple Kid Mattress and Pillow are Serta Pure US and Clean Air Gold certified. That means we can rest easy because there's no harmful chemicals. Your kids deserve the best. Your kids deserve purple. Right now, you'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. Go to purple.com slash humans and use the promo code humans. That's purple.com slash humans with the promo code humans for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Purple.com slash humans. Promo code humans. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Pia Barangini, a creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. God, there's so much about kids and people where we think something's wrong, where we just are inconvenienced. Yes. It's so, it's so true. That's such a great way of putting it. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways, and I know there's so much more to say, so feel free to circle back, but in thinking about the highly sensitive kids, and of course this applies to adults too, but we're not talking about Um, but most things people say, would this also be true for adults? Well, people, but what is the balance between honoring this unique personality and 
thinking about how your child is walking through the world in this way and also not over accommodating yeah. so that they only can walk in a world where you've set up their environment so they can be successful? That's a great, great question. I think that there's going to be a balance between compromise and accommodation because compromise is that we both have we both have a win. We both get something out of this deal. And accommodation is only one of us gets something out of it. And Great. so we really have to make that distinction between the two. And I remember I heard that from my friend, Melissa um, Fredericks, and she talked about that. I was like, wow, what a great distinction between the accommodation and the compromise. And she was talking about that in relation to um, marriage relationships and partner relationships. I'm like, yeah, but that's with parenting too. Yeah. Um, because there are times when there's a win-win, but I think what happens is parents, when I speak to parents, and I know for me personally, sometimes too, is that you feel mm -hmm. like unless you win, whatever is going on with you and your kid, then the parent sometimes feels like they let them get away with it. Mm -hmm. They were being permissive. Exactly. Or they didn't learn, they didn't learn their lesson. And so they're likely to do it again. Or I feel like a bad parent because of it. When really, I think what often happens is parents miss the real issue with this interaction. Because even if you quote unquote win, do you really because, okay, so now you win and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I made my kid stay at the party, even though they were having a meltdown. Yeah. Now I'm showing who's boss, but now your kid is super upset and maybe they've shut down now. Mm -hmm. And now in the future, when they're feeling overwhelmed, they just won't tell you. So is that really a win? And so I think that we have to really make sure that we don't miss the real issue, that we're not punishing and um, attacking something about our child that that is who they are. And so we have to really look at what is it? What is that need? What is that state of mind that needs to be nurtured? And so one of the things I often say on my Instagram page is don't fight fake battles. Mm -hmm. Fighting something and it's like, what are you What are you even arguing about? What are you, what is this child getting in trouble for? Like, what is, what is the real issue here? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think with that, we have to then change our parent mindset. We have to look at what is it really like my kid's issue is, or is it my issue? Because we see how that cyclical pattern comes up where I hear that all the time in my parent coaching sessions is I ask parents about the family that they grew up in, what their parents were like, what they liked or didn't like about their childhood. And so often I'm always hearing, yes, my mom did this, my dad did this, and I wanted my kids to have that same environment. Or my mom was never home or my dad was always working and I wanted to never be like that. And so it's like, we have to change our parent mindset that it's not just about not repeating cycles, but it's about what are we trying to instill in our kids that's the most effective and right thing for them. And we don't always know that because if you have more than one kid, each kid will have a different personality. And so what works for one may not work for the other. Um, what, what's a concrete example? Because I love thinking through that uh, of, let's say you do have one highly sensitive kid and one who's more of a dandelion. What would be a good way of, both of them are invited to a party. You know, as a parent, oh gosh, one of my kids is going to hate this party. And one of my, well, I mean, should we use party as an example? Will there be parties? I, I think that's, point? I think it's a good example. Yes. <laughs> I mean, at some point there will be parties with lots of people. Right. And, um, 
but, you know, take this and use it in whatever translation it works for whatever scenario, but let's say you've got the two kids and they're going to a party and there's loud music and, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of people and it's fun for one and they're so excited. And one of them is dreading it, or they don't even know they're dreading it, but they're dreading it. Um, and you can start to see different things happening. How can you compromise? So I think what we have to first start to do is if if we know we have a child who's highly sensitive, we need to educate them about their temperament. I think we got to start there first, right? Because Mm -hmm. we are more likely, I believe a lot of the work that I do, I start with education because when people are educated about who they are or about their child or anything, they feel more empowered because then you understand why you do what you do. You're not like a weirdo sitting with these feelings, thinking there's something exactly. strange going on. Yeah, Right. Great. So I think it has to start with the parent educating themselves about what is highly sensitive children and then making sure that your child understands it in a developmentally appropriate way, what that means for them. Okay? So I think it has to start there first. And then when we have something like a party, when we can do that one day, um, <laughs> We tell our children, you know, if we have one that's super extroverted and one that's more highly sensitive and maybe more um, withdrawn, we can say, hey, we're going to this party. It has, you know, your friends are going to be there. We're celebrating whatever is going on here. And, um, you know, we can even say to the highly sensitive child, does this feel like something that you want to go into fully and just see if you want to take a risk today? Does that seem like a day to take a risk? Mm. Or do you feel like you want to maybe stand back a little bit and stay next to me and then kind of figure it out before diving in? What do you think, what does this day feel like to you? What does this party situation feel like for you? And that could be for anything. So you're just basically giving them permission to decide, is this a high risk taking day for me? Or is this, no, I think I want to sit back and do a low risk day for me and I'm not in the mood. So giving them that kind of empowering them to read the room, read themselves, the interoceptive state, their internal state, and figure out, you know what? I feel kind of bold today. You know, I watched a movie. I felt like all strong and powerful. I feel like a superhero and I feel like I'm ready to tackle. I want to do something different today. So if they can just be aware of that, mm-hmm. that can make a big difference. And I can give you a really concrete example too. I had a teenager that I was seeing and she came in because her mom thought that she was depressed. And when she came in, she said, her friends all said that you're weird. Um, you're dead inside. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's wow. some strong language. And I'm like, why yeah. do they say that? And she's like, well, whenever I've been around them for a long period of time, I get very flat in the face and I get mm. very like, like my, like my expressions just go dead. Like I'm a blank canvas. And they, it's like, my eyes look <laughs> dead and they say I look dead inside. I'm like, okay. Um, and I said, so what's happening? And what we, uh, what I discovered with her is that she's super extroverted, but then her cup gets full with mm. all the social interaction and then she can't handle anymore. So what happens? Her system shuts down and that's totally. the dead inside they see, right? She was very highly sensitive kid, but didn't know that because everybody kept telling her, you're weird. What's wrong with you? You know, dead soul, all these just really derogatory terms. God. <laughs> um, And I told her, I think, you know, what happens that you have all this social interaction, which you love, but then you reach your limit and you have to withdraw, which is what she would do. She would disappear. People are like, where does she go? And she's just figured out a way to do it without actually physically leaving. Right. But she would feel bad about it. Oh, she would feel bad about it. And I said, I think when you're withdrawing, when people can't find you, 
and then you return like you're on some superhero mission, you just came back from fighting crime, it's because you've dumped out that cup and you've now replenished yourself. And it was like a light bulb went on and she said, oh, that's what it is. And I said, maybe what you need to determine is that when you do decide and you want to interact is that you have to determine where is my threshold so that you can start to meet that need before you get there. And she's like, I think two hours is my threshold. I'm like, okay. So then once she was aware of that, it was like her mood lifted. Mm -hmm. She realized there's nothing wrong with me, that that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And I can just tell my friends that. She told her friends that and they're like, yeah, that's what it is. And oh, how relaxing to know that her friends actually could tolerate finding out this information, especially because they've observed it. They just didn't know how to name it. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think that's where, whether they're super little or they're older, is educating our kids on this stuff because it's amazing how freeing that is when you like, this is me, mm-hmm. I value me, and this is how I can be at my best. I don't have to make apologies for it. And I told her, don't apologize for it. That's how I am too, in many ways. Is that not quite highly sensitive, but my, my social cup gets full and I have to dump it out. Yeah. And I, I, throughout my life, I kept thinking there was something wrong because I would see pictures of things with events and, and I would be missing. <laughs> I'm like, why am I missing? Well, because I was dumping out my social cup, you know? <laughs> well, and it can be confusing with an extrovert because yes. the assumption is like, if you're the life of the party at all, you don't need to do that. But there right. are plenty of kids who aren't introverts or who aren't the quiet child who also need mm-hmm. that cup emptied out. And right. that's probably a lot harder. Like it maybe takes longer to notice that. Exactly. Because you could have a highly sensitive child who's highly social, mm-hmm. but then they withdraw or shut down when they perceive rejection or criticism or judgment. And then they withdraw fully because they feel it deeply because they're an empath. And now a little bit about hair. We waste a lot of money on the wrong hair care products and Gemist takes the guesswork out of it. So let's say hypothetically you color your hair and you are noticing after you had a baby that your hair gets thinner and thinner and you try to find the right shampoo to get rid of some of the problems that are going on. Well, when I got to take the Gemist quiz online to figure out what shampoo and conditioner they were going to send me. I kind of put in every complaint that I have and I had never heard of Gemist before. It's a new company and it makes salon quality shampoo and conditioner that personalizes it. So you take this quiz and then they pick the formula that's best for you based on your hair type density concerns. And it's only $36 for shampoo and conditioner. When you sign up for their smart subscribe, and it smells good and it works. It's also woman owned. The CEO and founder, Allison Har, is a mom and a dog mom, went to Harvard. I like to support women owned companies. And also, there are quality ingredients that are free of sulfates, parabens, dyes. It hasn't been tested on animals, it's manufactured in the US. So, if you're ready to have the best hair care in your life, try Gemis. Right now, my listeners can give Gemis to try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner. Just visit Gemist.com to get your personalized recommendation and enter humans at checkout for 20% off and free two-day shipping. 
That is gemist.com, G-E-M-M-I-S-T.com and enter the code HUMANS at checkout to get the best hair of your life. Sometimes people might say, you just let it roll off your back. You can't worry about what other people say. And now what is a different way to approach a child who experiences a deeper hurt from other people? That's a great question because what we want to do is not present it like it's, um, again, a flaw or that it's dismissive in some way. So we can say something like, um, man, that must be hard to feel that way. So then if they say, yeah, it really is hard when I'm around my friends and I feel like they've made fun of me or they're saying something sarcastic and then I feel like, you know, they're laughing at me and then I, I want to shut down. It's like, I know that must be really hard to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think just connecting in that way and acknowledging that it's hard, I think that can be the very joining, very soothing experience and validating that they need. And then kind of saying from there, so when that happens, what do you feel like you need in that moment? And helping them kind of get in touch with, well, do I want to feel like I'm empowered to say something to my friends? Like, please stop making fun of me that way. I really don't appreciate it. Is it maybe where you withdraw for a little bit or you just need to kind of collect yourself? Like, what is it that you need? And we have to really help them balance not running away from the feeling because that's really hard not to do. Yeah. Because as we know, with anxiety, like an anxious response, which often happens in these social situations, that if you avoid, the avoidance will feed the anxiety because you will get the short-term relief. Oh, okay. I felt insulted or uh, ridiculed or criticized. So I avoided. And once I avoided, I felt better. Well, yeah, but that's that short-term relief, which then your brain learns, oh, in order to feel better when you're under criticism, just leave. And then you start to learn and habituate that the only way to feel better about yourself is to avoid your problems. All of these things actually are great tools for becoming a re- like growing up and taking care of your needs and also being realistic about how to interact with others and how, yeah. And how to stay with the uncomfortable feeling, mm-hmm. but just knowing that it's uncomfortable and having a plan is going to serve kids forever. Exactly. Exactly. Because we want them to understand who they are, but we also want them to understand that the world isn't always going to push pause for you. And it's, it's a hard balance to be able to, not that we're trying to toughen them up for the world because the world does need to be more sensitive in general anyway. And that I think that having highly sensitive individuals is a plus because we need those individuals. It keeps the world. world in check. Yes, totally. But not everybody is going to see the value in those individuals. And so I think that's where we help build them up and kind of, in a sense, fortify them, Mm. not to put up a shell, but not to withdraw either. So to be able to understand, yes, it's hard to feel this way. Yes, the world and everybody else is not always exactly like this. And I don't have to settle but I also need to know that not everybody's feelings about me matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can live through that. Exactly. I can, I can feel uncomfortable and I can feel rejected and I can feel all these feelings that maybe I don't really like, but I'll be fine anyway. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's where kind of that connection is, is that it's not like an automatic overnight thing, of course, it's that what we're, we're building up in our kids is how to have these uncomfortable feelings and still know that you'll be fine even when you do. Because that's these are things that a lot of adults never I mean, learned and they're trying yeah. to figure it out, right? And yes. so if we can teach these to our kids and model that, yes, sometimes you're going to fail your class, sometimes you're going to fail a test and it feels crummy, but you'll be fine. You'll survive this as well too. And so learning how to sit with it and then move on past it. And that's where we have to, to do that. And I think that's why it's important for parents not to over-personalize their children's struggles, especially if they see themselves in their child, right? Yes. Then they're so let's talk more them. about that, right? Yes. So if you are over-personalizing it, I guess it could go one of two ways. You can mm-hmm. over-personalize it and say, I know that pain. I don't want them to have that. I need to rescue. Or you could go the other way and say, I know that pain. I got through it. They'll get through it and totally disregard it. Mm -hmm. But let's talk more about over personalizing the experience Mm -hmm. that your child is having because part of that parent mindset is being able to acknowledge how hard it is to watch your child be distressed and that you can't fix everything. So I would like to hear more about that. Yes, I think that's, it's a great and it's a hard question. I know. Because, you know, like I talked about earlier is that a lot of parents based on their own childhood, they're kind of reliving their childhood through their children. And depending on the age that you were at when those events occurred to you that were traumatizing in some way and your child hits that stage, you're going to be more likely to have a hard time with it. So for example, if you were a seven-year-old second grader, when a bunch of girls said, we don't like you because of whatever reason, and you had a hard time making friends that year, maybe your parents moved around, whatever it was, and you never quite dealt with it, and then your child hits that stage, you're going to have different feelings and you're not going to know where they came from. And often it's because of that kind of over-identification feeling. That's one of the ways that it occurs because you start to see yourself in that child and you want to rescue her. I don't want her to go through what I went through. And so I need to fix it. So who picked on you? Who said that about you? Give me their names and socials. (laughs) We call their mamas, (laughs) right? Because I am not going to stand here and allow this to happen because I should have been rescued. I'm going to make sure I rescue you. Now as a good parent, we should want to help save our kids from horrible events. Totally. That's what any parent would want to do, right? We don't want to watch our kids flounder and suffer. Of course not. But the problem though, is that we also can't rescue them from everything either. And we can't make their issue ours because it's not the same thing. It's not the same circumstance, not the same decade or era. They're not the same person. And distinguishing between what's a terrible or what, I I can't remember the word you use, but what a horrible event is, is also really important because we have to know what a horrible event is versus just a crummy event. Exactly, exactly. And that's why talking to your child about how they feel about it, that how they processed it and how they want to resolve it even, because you may have in your mind how it should be resolved. Oh, I'm going to talk to that person's parents about how they treated you in class when maybe they may say, I just need advice on how to talk to her. Yes. Right. So we have to pay attention to what our kids needs are and help them to problem solve those things. And so 
giving them some problem solving is a great way so that we're not over-personalizing so that we could say, hey, that was a really tough thing that you went through today. I am so sorry you had to go through that. And be able to say that, you know, if you feel like these kids are continuing to pick on you, what do you think is a good way to help solve this problem? And so that way you can hear your kid's heart and then you can also then help that child figure out pros and cons in terms of what's the best solution. And that's what your child needs. They don't need you to just fix it or rescue them. And they then, need to know that you believe that they can figure it out too. Exactly. When, when you ask that question. Exactly, exactly. And so that way you can be able to give it to them, help them kind of resolve it and then move past it. And then that way you take yourself out of the equation because you're giving it to them, right? And then I think it's important that you do your own work too. So as a parent, that if you still are very much weighed down by a lot of these events, from your childhood, you need to do your own work as well too. So that way, because parenting has a funny way of bringing up stuff that you thought you had gotten over. Yes. <laughs> or uh. people told you to get over. Mm-hmm. And then you have your own kid and they do something, whether it's the way they talk to you, an experience they had with a friend, whatever it is, or the way your spouse or partner talks to them, any of those things, or the way your parents treat them as grandparent, like, well, why didn't she do that with me? Why did my dad not do that with me? They're doing it with my kid. Like any of those things, it can be super triggering. So that over-personalization can really occur because that parenting relationship will bring up a lot of stuff that you thought you'd buried. So what is peanut? Peanut is an app that connects you with like-minded women throughout all stages of motherhood. Peanut provides a safe space for mothers, expectant mothers, and those trying to conceive to build friendships, ask questions, and find support. Introducing you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in life, Peanut provides access to a community of women who are there to listen, share information, and offer valuable advice. Whether it's understanding IVF, adoption, pregnancy, first years, or nursery and beyond, Peanut is a place to connect with women like you. We know from studies that pregnancy and becoming a parent can be incredibly isolating. And becoming a mom is fraught with so much stress and also so much joy. So having a community to connect with is of course of utmost importance to me or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So you can download the app for free today and head to peanut.app.link slash raising good humans, or just find it on your app store. So when you feel those feelings in your own body, manage, deal with, think through them without your kids so that then you can be open to just letting them live their experience. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And then recognizing that is their experience. It is bringing up stuff in me, but my experiences are not theirs. And you have to keep that separate. You have to make, not dump that on them. Because then if you start to share, oh my gosh, you know, when I was a kid, and then it all becomes Mm -hmm. about you. And of course, I believe there is some level of transparency and vulnerability we have to share with our kids. Not have to, Mm -hmm. but I think it's helpful. But I think we have to make sure that it doesn't become all about us. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, wait, hold up, mommy, or hold up, dad, hold up, grandma. Like, I 
this, I thought we we're talking about me. <laughs> Why are you talking 20 minutes about oh, what happened to you, you know, in this grade, you know? So I think we have to make sure that we're doing our own work so that we're not over-personalizing and thinking that what they went through, it may not even be that big of a deal for them. Right. It, it's so well-meaning too. So often it's like, oh, I can connect over this. I remember that time in second grade when, and uh-huh. you go into a whole story and your kids are like, um, I wasn't, I wasn't looking, I was just looking for you to say like that that stinks. Yes, <laughs> exactly. really hard. And that's but now why, back to me. Right, exactly. And I think that's why one of the things in problem solving that we can ask them after they've shared and we said, that's hard, man, that's, it's really tough when people go through that. I remember when I had a similar experience, what do you feel like you need from me? What would be Yeah, helpful, I love that sentence. Right? What do you feel like you need from me? Exactly. And that works in partnerships. <laughs> that works in customer service. That works with parents and children is that you mm-hmm. find out from the listener, from the, the person sharing as you, the listener, finding out what does this person need from me? Do they just want to vent? Mm-hmm. Or do they actually want to help solve the problem? And then I'm not solving it for them. I'm not saying, well, what you need to do is... I'm saying, what can we do to help you get through this? And especially for highly sensitive kids, they're going to feel like they don't want to burden you. Because again, if they pick they, up on your oh, distress- They pick up on your thing. Yes, they do. And for if they're very young, they're not going to know what they're picking up on. They're going to feel something. And I've had kids tell me this in therapy sessions where they're like, yeah, I just don't want to give my mom, make her more stressed. I know she's already stressed as it is. And I don't want to make her more stressed. I'm like, well, you're eight. Why are you thinking about that? You know, or, you know, I know that my mom has been through a lot or my dad's been through a lot or my grandma's been through a lot. I don't want to put more on their plate. So that's why we have to make sure we're aware of where we're at. Because if not, our kids are going to shut down or we'll see it through other negative behaviors that we see as negative anyway. And we're not going to know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to be picking up, they're going to be mirroring off of us and say, oh, look at, look at, look at my mom's face. Like I could tell that she just shut down or I can tell that she's not present or she traveled back in time in her head. You know, they're not going to know exactly what they're seeing, but they're going to see something. Something's going on. Mm -hmm. So, so thinking about younger kids and also I think it's probably worth saying if, if you're listening and you're like, Oh my God, I do this so much that that's okay. There's that we get to wake up tomorrow and start anew. And Mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about the relationships we have with our kids is that there's so much opportunity to repair or reconnect in those moments. So I don't, I think all of this is like to find out how to connect well with our highly sensitive kids, not to criticize or think like, uh, well, I blew it. It's not over, but I mean, it's all over. So yeah, let's just go back to the flip side of the question about not sort of pushing away or deciding that as you're over-personalizing this by saying, I could handle it, they can handle it. Right. And I see that a lot too, where parents who said, well, I got toughened up and I was able to get past it. Why can't they? Or even parents who weren't the highly sensitive kid, they're, they are, do have a more hardy personality and they don't get affected by much. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tend to have less patience for those children in that way too, because they don't see themselves in that, or they felt like, well, I was able to persist. Why can't they? And so I think that's why it's important to understand everybody's personality is unique and different. And every child in birth order, the home that they're coming up in, the stage of life you're in, in your, in your relationship or your marriage, all there's so many, your environment, your, your background, your ethnic group, like all kinds of things 
are affecting how your child is and how they show up in the world. So I think we have to make sure that we keep things in perspective and not do that. It's the same kind of excuse when um, we use as parents, and I've heard parents say too, that when I work with them, that um, especially uh, individuals like uh, grandparents who are raising their um, grandkids, and they'll say, oh, well, why can't I just do what I did before? Just, you know, yell at them and whatever, you know, parenting worked like it did back then. So why can't it work now? It's like, well, rotary phones worked in the eighties and we don't really (laughs) use them now unless they're for decoration. I mean, there's lots of things that we know now that we didn't know then child development research, lots of things. So we have to understand that our kid right now is in a different stage in life and in the world than when we were. So it's great that you were able to just suck it up and push through. That's not how your kid is. So in order to be able to appreciate where your child is, we have to then build them up and be able to accept them where they're at. And accepting them where they're at, that's how we help them become resilient. Yes. Right? Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah. So that way they don't have to keep fighting for their right to be who they are. They can yes. just be who they are. I'm so glad you said that because that's the risk, right? Is that if you think, okay, they're getting overindulged and they're going to be even more sensitive. So I don't want to even acknowledge the experience they're having and eventually they'll toughen up. Is that, that, that somehow building a resilient kid when in fact it's counterintuitive or it's not counterintuitive, it's counterproductive because if you aren't accepting them for who they are and building up that person, you're undermining their resilience. Exactly. And I've had parents tell me that, that they were that highly sensitive or that more introverted or shy child and their parents try to toughen them up. And many of them tell me, tell me that it actually backfired, that they actually became right. more, they became overly sensitive. So they went from just being highly sensitive, which is a great trait to being overly sensitive, which can actually be a detriment because then everything hurts you. And everybody's out to get you. And I have to people please. And nothing I do is good enough. And I have to be a perfectionist. And so that's the other side. That's, yeah, let's go through that. So you just said something so important that I want to expand on it, or I want you to, which (laughs) is, you know, what happens when you don't honor your highly sensitive child, not to make a doom and gloom story, but when you don't accept your child for who they are and grow that relationship based on knowing what you know about how they walk through the world, what can happen to the highly sensitive child in that extreme? Yeah, that's, it's great question. I think that what I've seen on a clinical perspective, I'm not sure fully what uh, a lot of the evidence shows about this, but what I've noticed and what I've heard reported is many times individuals do become overly sensitive, which then isn't necessarily an asset to them. It can actually be a liability and where what I've often seen is that people pleasing, that never being good enough, performing, performance kind of mindset to be a perfectionist, that if I'm good enough, then my parent will accept me. If I'm pleasing enough, people will stay and nobody will ever leave me, betray me. If I'm overly loyal to my friend, um, to my friends, then they'll all always have my back. And so then when those things don't work out, it's your fault. It's, it's your, fault. your fault, right? Because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't perfect enough. I wasn't there enough. I wasn't valuable enough. And then everything you do becomes, it's like the, it's like the world revolves around you in a sense that my actions directly impact everybody else. 
Right. It's so right? funny. It's like the most important person in the world and the, and the least important person in the world all wrapped up in one person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So that's where a lot of that, when I work with adults, because I do see um, therapy clients who are adults as well. And a lot of their mindsets are who were the highly sensitive kid that, you know, their thinking is if I am a faithful partner or spouse, then they will always be faithful to me. That if I always perform and I look this way and I dress this way and I cook and I clean and I do everything, then they'll always be loyal to me. And so they're always expecting that it's always about me. That, well, what about them? What about the, what about their choices? That if they are unfaithful or they leave or a job fires you and an employer treats you badly, why is it always about you when someone mm-hmm. bullies you? Why is it your fault? What about their responsibility? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's where then they their psyche and their sense of self gets wrapped up in performance and being the right person because if my parents don't accept me for who I am and I have to make sure that I live up to what they expect, then everything you do is always about what other people think. Oh, you had a great day. I'm proud of you. Oh, good job. I'm happy because you had a good attitude. Like it's all about pleasing pleasing you. Fitting fitting your personality into that parent's ideal Good behavior, good good kid means good mood for my parents. And so it's always tied to me. Me, I'm the thing that makes, makes my mom or dad or grandparent or whatever. I make them happy based on my existence. You know, I do good. Right. That's uh, that's so important because we can, as adults, stop ourselves if we notice, like, if our mood is controlled by our children's actions, behaviors. I mean, of course, if your child runs up to you and gives you a big hug, you're going to feel, of course, like warm and delicious feeling. But that if you personalize their behavior to have something to do with, like, your mood and how your day goes, that that isn't just not good for you, but it mm-hmm. sends a bear of a message to your kids. Right. And that's why it's important then to talk to our kids about if they do make a poor choice and you had an outing and you thought it was going to be special and they end up having a meltdown and a tantrum because they're highly sensitive and they got overly stimulated and hungry and tired. And then you're just like, great, I planned this whole trip and it was ruined, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. (laughs) And so you want to then blame the child. Yeah. But what you could do instead is say, I know that we've been quarantined and holed up in the house for months and we really wanted this outing to be special, but I think we may have done a little bit too much at once Mm -hmm. and it was too much for your body or your brain to handle. And you had your body tried to get back in balance and I get it. We could try again. Yeah. And we'll plan it a little, we'll do a little bit less. It doesn't mean that we're like, okay, forget it. Then I guess we shouldn't do anything fun. Right. Just forget it. Thanks. Thanks for being ungrateful right? All I do for this house. And you go into this big old lecture about everything you do and how yeah. you sacrificed your life. Like I'm only laughing, by the way, I'm not making fun of parents in general. I'm laughing because the, the number of times that's either come out or yes. almost come out, even though I know how yep. toxic it is, Ditto. is mind blowing. <laughs> Ditto. So when parents are like, Oh, it's, you must know how to do yeah. this. Cause you're please we're the same mistakes. The same yes. mistake. And I know better. So we know better, but yeah, I I always say to people, the only benefit for knowing this stuff is, I think there are two things. One is that I give myself a little bit more room to blow it because I'm so (laughs) deeply confident in the reconnection and repair. And Uh I'm so aware of how not perfect 
I am and Mm -hmm. that that's not an expectation. And then the only other thing is that I'm, I can watch in real time when I'm doing something that is not acceptable and I'm doing it anyway. And so I'm just aware of it. Like you said, there are moments when I'm just going, I can't, I know this is coming out of my mouth. I, I can recognize what's happening. I am conscious enough to be, to see it, but not enough to take my deep breath yes. and start again. And when I watch that happen, I sometimes, the thing that gets me out of it is that I'll start laughing because I hear myself and I'm like, oh my God, I am make, I'm like becoming the person that is giving a script of the not, do right. not do. right. But I think that's a really good point that I bring up a lot with parents when they feel like they've messed up in the interaction with their kid. And I said, you know better, yet you still yelled at your kid, right? Right. Mm. I know better, and yet I still yell at my kid, right? Right. So if we, who are adults, know better, yet we still mess up, why do we hold our kids to a different standard? Totally. Like, right? but I've told them a bunch of times they know. It's that but so do we. Knowing, right. So if we, knowing I, was all there was. <laughs> it's not just about the knowledge. There's lots of stuff I know. Lots of stuff, you know, I, mean, I know I should exercise. Do I? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, would I like to? Yes. I would want to want to, but do I? No. So there's lots of things that we know that we should do better, yet we don't. So why are we holding our kids to these high and lofty standards when their brains are so much less developed and understanding and experienced than ours? So we have to allow so much more grace and patience because they don't get it yet. And yes, maybe you have told them 50 times, but that repetition and that long-term memory consolidation takes years to occur. And then one day they just get it. They're like, wow, you do know how to make your bed when you wake up in the morning. That's awesome. Yes. I taught you 10 years, but it doesn't matter. It's that, it's that we have to provide those allowances. Right. It's not like, but I've done this for three days and nothing has changed. It's like, <laughs> have three years gone by, have 13 years gone by. Exactly. But that's a mindset thing for us, not it our is. kids. It is. There's one other thing that I wanted to ask you. I just was thinking about what could you say to a parent who just like, are there a few, and I don't love working with scripts because I know that sometimes people adhere to the scripts too much and don't take them as just a guide for some ideas that feel comfortable. But for a parent who's like, I just am not highly sensitive to the point where I just don't, I don't understand what is going on with my kid. Mm. What is some language that you can offer for them to practice so that they don't jump on their kids to just be like, oh, for God's sakes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What we could do is this. So I'm laughing again because, you know, (laughs) I've experienced it. So I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, I think we have to first address that, first think of and say to ourselves, because I think self-talk is your friend when you have a highly sensitive mm-hmm. child, and maybe mm-hmm. you're not, is to say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. Is this my issue or is it theirs? So I know that they're singing the wrong words to the song right now, and they're chewing very loudly. <laughs> is that really a problem or is that just my problem? Or, wow, they're getting on their siblings' nerves because of whatever it is. Like, again, look at, is this immature behavior? Because kids are immature. 
kids are supposed to be immature and loud and hyper. And that's how a child is. If they're having a tantrum and they're three, three year olds have tantrums. So really looking at, is this my issue or is it really an issue? Is it theirs or is it mine? And also paying attention to your needs. And I say this a lot to parents because I'd say it for myself, is that if you have unmet needs and your child is doing something one day and you yell and you lose it, but another day they do the exact same thing and you laugh along with them and you do the dance with them. What that's doing, it's giving your child a very mixed message and Mm -hmm. they don't know what to expect from you on a daily basis or even hourly basis. Okay, wait, let me get this straight. My parent, one day when I did this, they freaked out and the next day they actually thought it was hilarious. Okay, so how do I know? So then they have to start walking on eggshells around you. They never know what to expect around you. So we have to make sure that we're meeting our needs. You know, do you need time with friends? Do you need alone time, nap time, shopping time? (laughs) You know, do you need to go for a walk? Do you need to get your hair and makeup done? Like, what do you need to do so that you can feel balanced? Because a balanced parent will have a balanced child. So the self-talk is really important. And I think that uh, another part is to really teach your child how to self-regulate. And a lot of that self-regulation that I talk a lot about uh, occurs to help your child get balanced. A lot of highly sensitive kids are off balance because they take in so much the reason why they're having meltdowns or tantrums or yelling or withdrawals because their system is so overtaxed, they need to release. So a lot of these meltdowns or tantrums, yelling matches or whatever, they are a way for them to get balanced. So we have to teach mm-hmm. them how to do it in a more appropriate, in a healthier, more adaptive way. And so we have to co-regulate with them so they can learn regulation. So whether it's rubbing their back, rocking them, holding the space for them, and just being present while they have the tantrum, Mm -hmm. maybe it's reading a book, maybe it's doing a time in with them because everybody needs a break. Maybe it's going for a walk, but doing things with them so that they learn how to balance themselves out without getting in trouble for it. That just because I had a tantrum, it doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. That meant that I needed to find balance. How can I do that without having a tantrum? What a great um, thought to end on, which is just thinking about a child's learning this amazing message that their tantrum doesn't mean that it's because they're Mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. It means, oh boy, they need to figure out how to regulate and how to take care of themselves so that they can get back to themselves. And if we can grow that thought forever, I mean, then you know how to take care of yourself. Exactly. And you don't have to worry about other people taking care of you Mm -hmm. or that you failed somebody else in some way. 